0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد تبن قلوب ودوائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Bismillah. So we left off on this line of the poem in the second chapter on uh the diseases of the heart, warning against the diseases of the heart and the ego and so on. And we left off on this verse here, haythu qala an ta'ala anhu amin. وَخَالِفِ النَّفْسَ وَالشَّيْطَانَ وَعَصِهِمَا وَإِنْهُمَا مَحَضَاكَ النُصْحَ فَاتَّهِمِ In the commentary he brings this one and the one after it together وَلَا تُطِعْ مِنْهُمَا خَصْمًا وَلَا حَكَمًا فَأَنْتَى تَعْرِفُ كَيْدَ الْخَصْمِ وَالْحَكَمِ So he says contradict the infantile self and Satan and disobey them if either of them offers you sincere advice be suspicious submit to neither whether they come as adversary or arbiter by now you should know the intrigues of both adversary and arbiter so uh, he, he says in the commentary تعالى, that this now is going into he's advising us to uh, reject the council of two enemies and those two enemies in this case are the enemy of the nafs and the enemy of shaitan shaitan as an enemy and the nafs as an enemy and that we should go against both of them he says uh, rahimahullah oppose the lower self in everything it commands or forbids for it is your fiercest foe It wears the attire of a loved one And makes what is good look bad And what is bad look good It covets selfish gains and desires And is keen to accomplish its goals Despite the fact that it is the closest And most inseparable thing to you You must remedy it with struggle And self-reckoning With mujahada And muhasaba. That's the nafs so I'm saying you have to w- go against the nafs with mujahada and with muhasaba. Mujahada is that struggle, and muhasabah is some sort of uh, accounting for oneself. I made this mistake, I did this, I did that right, I did this good, so on and so forth. As for Satan, his enmity towards you is long-standing. Allah Most High says, Verily, Satan is an enemy to you, so take him as an enemy. Uh, To realize Satan's enmity and envy It is enough for you to hear the Prophet's words When the son of Adam prostrates Satan withdraws and weeps Saying, woe is me The son of Adam was commanded to prostrate And he prostrated So for him is paradise But when I was commanded to prostrate I refused So for me is hellfire And uh, so this is Satan as our enemy. They're not, what what he's telling us here is that these two sources, they're not trustworthy advisors. They're not trustworthy advisors. And, uh, you know, this kind of is connected perhaps to a broader point that one of the good things that we can do in life is to Seek the company and companionship of those who will give us good advice. Um, There are good advisors and there are bad advisors. The nafs, shaitan, they're bad advisors. The sharia, the prophetic example, um, righteous heirs to the sharia, uh, well-meaning, sincere people, all of these people are good advisors. And the amount of damage that can come from bad advisors is so significant. And the amount of good that can come from good advisors is also so significant. May Allah give us good company. Allahumma ameen. It is said in the Hikam, If you know that Satan does not forget you, do not forget him in whose hand is your forelock. So one of the things he's saying in the Hikam, and that you'll see sometimes, it's interesting, you'll see sometimes from some of the awliya, some of the the righteous people, this kind of like, there's a warning of the nafs, there's a warning against shaitan, there's a warning against the Neph's. And at the same time, there's a kuwa. there's a strength and vigor when it comes to fighting them. That uh, you know one does not submit to them So he says in the Hikam If you remember uh, If you know that Satan does not forget you Then you don't forget Who it is that controls everything Which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of course So it's really kind of like putting things in perspective In this regard, Dunun al Misri, Radiallahu Ta'ala, one of the great early people, Dun Nun Misri, he said if Satan sees you while you cannot see him, know that Allah sees him while he cannot see Allah. So seek Allah's aid against him. So seek Allah's aid against him. So Okay, I can't see Shaitan. And Shaitan can't see Allah. I'm gonna call on Allah and Allah is going to come to my aid. He says in the commentary This then Ibn Ajiba that is This then is the wisdom behind Satan and the lower self assailing Mankind so they can Express their utter neediness for Allah And their gatheredness Unto him most high It states in the Hikam Allah appointed Satan as your foe So that through him he might Drive you towards himself And he stirred your ego Against you so that your turning to him might be constant so both of these then one of the wisdoms of both of them is that they turn us to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they force us to put our focus and our trust in Allah it also states in the Hikam he only made injury come at the hands of other people so that you do not repose in them, he wanted to stir you out of everything so that nothing would occupy you from him so all of these things that we go to they are meant to direct us back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala direct us back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to really submit ourselves to him to really say a'udhu billahi minash to really say la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah and to really turn towards him and seek him and ask him to give aid, and ask him to give support, and to have our reliance there. Uh, so we covered this as well. Submit to neither, whether they come as ar- adversary or arbiter. So it doesn't matter how they come to you. If they if if they come as playing the good cop, it's whatever. If they come playing the bad cop, it's whatever. Either one of the, either way, they're not the. Trustworthy advisors Then he continues I seek Allah's forgiveness I'll read the translation actually I have You can compare it with yours With the one that's here I seek Allah's forgiveness for words bereft of deeds As by them I attributed progeny to a sterile man I seek Allah's forgiveness for words bereft of deeds As by them I attributed progeny to a sterile man Uh, He does in the commentary of the section again one of his uh, Kind of like imaginary If he was to turn it into an imaginary prose Of admonition of what would it sound like so i want to read it because i think it's uh beautiful the way that he wrote it here the author may allah be pleased with him expresses his humility and lack of reliance upon his works essentially saying i seek allah's forgiveness for my words of advice and counsel and for my encouragement and exhortation to follow the path of guidance since everyone who hears these counsels and warnings thinks that i as the speaker and guide to them and based on my uh, and uh, that i as the speaker and guide to them and based on my state of being only make the effort to exhort others because i practice what i preach and follow the same path and upright way that i urge others to follow but that is not the case no rather i have deluded myself and fallen for illusion and failed to do as i say I have encouraged others to do good works, but I have not done them myself. I have sta- sated myself with what is not truly in my possession. To the one I speak with, it appears that I have self-control and that I have overcome my personal demon. But in reality, my condition is quite the opposite. And in giving listeners the impression that I also act on the advice I give them, even though I am utterly bereft of good deeds, I am akin to someone who attributes progeny to a barren and childless man. For I have encouraged good deeds, but have not done any myself. And I have given c- counsel to others, but have not accepted it myself. So anyone who believes that I act upon my words or advice is like a person who believes that an, that an Im- impotent man can have offspring. Because of the misleading impression given by my advice, I have, in a sense, attributed progeny to an impotent man. So this again, like I said before, he, uh, in the commentary, kind of gives us this act of, dealing with the text this active engagement with the text and he took all of that from this one line or oh, this whole paragraph is from this one line in the poem and he's expressing you know this this humility this self dep- depreciation or deprecation i guess you could say um and you know that's it's this delicate line um I think last time we had this great quote where he said that the that for people who are sick, hope should be dominant, and for people who are healthy, fear should be dominant. Not physically sick or healthy, but spiritually sick or healthy. And so, the person who's spiritually healthy, uh, in this case, they have to have this kind of humility. Um, and that won't break them. That will actually keep them sound because they're healthy in the first place. But if they were sick and tried to do the same thing, it might not have the same consequence. And that's what I think is important to keep in mind here. Okay. Uh, there's also a commentary here uh, on the importance of seeking forgiveness. Because he starts off that line with, I seek Allah's forgiveness. So he brings some meritorious things as relates to seeking forgiveness. Ali believed that seeking forgiveness was the remedy for every stressful matter. It is related that a man came to him and said, O leader of the believers, for years now we have been suffering drought and shortages. Ali replied, Seek Allah's forgiveness and he will remove the affliction that is upon you. Shortly thereafter, another man complained to Sayyidina Ali of weakness and poverty, to which Sayyidina Ali replied, Seek Allah's forgiveness. Then came another man who complained to him that he desired children but was infertile. So Sayyidina Ali said to him, Seek abundant forgiveness from Allah and he will bless you with many offspring. Then came a man who complained to Sayyidina Ali that his orchard was ruined. So Sayyidina Ali said to him, Seek Allah's forgiveness. Someone then said, Abul Hassan, meaning Ali. You enjoined all of these all of those men to seek forgiveness despite the fact that their requests were varied. Sayyidina Ali replied, I enjoined upon them what the Prophet Nuh enjoined upon his people when he said, Seek the forgiveness of your Lord. Verily he is oft forgiving. And Nuh knew that by nothing less and and, and Nuh knew that by divine revelation. Okay. So Nuh called his people to ask forgiveness for particular things and Sayyidina Ali is following that uh, route. It doesn't not necessarily that he was he called them to ask forgiveness for those things, but those things are mentioned as a consequence of asking forgiveness. So it says uh, the verses in Surah Nuh uh, I think are something along the lines of you see the ويمددكم بأموال وبنين ويجعل لكم جنات ويجعل لكم أنهارة. that he said uh Sayyidina Nuh نوح told his people I said ask forgiveness of your lord he is oft forgiving then verses come after it what will happen if you do that uh the sky will be the rain from the sky will be sent down upon you. And you will be given wealth, and you will be given children and offspring. And you'll be given uh, produce, and you'll be given rivers, uh, and so on. So all of these things he mentions as a consequence of asking for forgiveness. And that asking for forgiveness then is why Sayyidina Ali takes that lead and does the same in terms of asking those people that came to him they needed those things that are mentioned as a consequence of asking forgiveness in the verses and so he gave them those verses as a prescription so this is on the importance of seeking forgiveness um, um, yeah that's good a I should say Amartuka. that I enjoined goodness upon you while failing to heed the same I was not upright so what use is my enjoining uprightness I was not upright so what use is my joining enjoining uprightness uh, I'm trying to understand why I wrote the comment that I did in the side here. <laughs> um, I must have been just in my head, because it's not really tied into what's here. So, I enjoined goodness upon you while failing to heed the same. I was not upright, so what is what use is my enjoining uprightness? Um, you know, this is, a, this is an important issue. We want to try to do the things that we encourage people to do. However... If we are intending to do that Then uh, That's okay for us to encourage others Even if we might not fully be there yet Even though we're trying um, That's not hypocritical Hypocritical would be You're telling someone to do something And you're intentionally not doing it Okay, so there's there's intent to do good But maybe the person is coming up short So they're like Who am I to give advice? You yeah. Um So this is what he's lamenting here In a hadith recorded in the Sahih of Al-Bukhari and other collections It is related that the emissary of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi said A man will be brought on the day of resurrection And thrown into the hellfire His intestines will be hanging out Spilling onto the ground And he will go around hell as a donkey goes around a millstone The denizens of hell will gather around him and say Oh so and so, what is the matter with you? Used you not to enjoy us, enjoin us to do good and uh, deeds and forbid us from doing evil deeds? He will reply, Yes, I used to enjoin you to do good deeds, but I did not do them, and I used to forbid you from doing evil deeds, yet I would do them myself. Sallum, Ya Rabbi, Sallum, Ya Rabbi, Allah protect us, Allah protect us, Ya Rabbi. But again, the same kind of what I just said about this. Before we read it applies. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Do you not in, do you enjoin people to righteousness yet forget it yourselves while you recite the scripture? And towards the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, <laughs> Do you like you're calling people to do certain things but you don't do them? Do you not read the book? Like uh, uh, you're reciting the book what are you getting anything from it think 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 think. he says this verse seems to censure those who do not act on their knowledge indeed a scholar's slip is punished more severely than the slip of an ignorant person and his burden is greater because he disobeys and transgresses knowing full well the gravity of his sin so it does seem to indicate that this is not an uh, an equal standard. That the scholars' slip is worse, and uh, they they should know better, right? They should really know better, and because they do, then their responsibility is higher. And I think that that's good, actually. You know, I don't. Uh, I, I'm kind of in between on this whole. It seems like in the recent period, there's this whole narrative about, you know. Uh, imams are are human beings just like everyone else. Religious leaders are human beings just like everyone else. They make mistakes too and so on and so forth. And that's true. But I think that oftentimes that's um, you know, there's I think it's attributed to Sayyidina Ali an, but it's a great statement. He says kalimatu, kalimatu biha that it's a true statement, but what's 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 intended by it is false. So Sometimes that's used for like To excuse behavior that's inexcusable It's like no I mean I can I can accept that the That the imam or the religious leader Is a little bit uh, is, is similar to everyone else In the sense that They need to sleep And they have limitations on their physical body And um, You know they have concerns about their livelihood And stuff like that Those, those are things that I can accept But I can accept That the religious leader is like everyone else And so, you know, they should be able to publicly engage in foul behavior And we just let it go No, it doesn't work like that There's a standard And, you know, once a person is reflecting uh, that position or role Then they are held to a higher standard Not only with the people, but with Allah Which is what's indicated in this comment here Um and so you know one of the things that i think is important is that people who are in these sorts of positions they own the responsibility of the position and there's a thin line here you know one should be humble certainly but at the same time one should own the responsibility so you know uh, sometimes you'll see people who are in positions of teaching you know they'll take it upon themselves Maybe their teachers gave them permission or whatever But either way, they're teaching They're speaking on matters of religion Sometimes they might even be giving a fatwa Whether or not they realize it Um, But they don't want you to give them any sort of title And it's like, well, no I mean, that's having your cake and eating it too There's, uh, uh, you know People can call you whatever they're going to call you You don't force a title No one will do that That's, that's, That's fine but, you know, there is a responsibility to this. And, you know, it reminds me of uh, a conversation I had with someone that I hold in high regard in the community. And um, he said something to me that kind of stuck with me. And this was relatively recently, uh, probably in the last couple of years. Although now the last year has passed... So that's like, all of our calculations are going to have to vary now But anyways, in the last couple of years We were talking and I told him You know, he usually calls me by the title sheikh or whatever And I, I, t- I told him, you know, we were talking about people who are actually sheikh I told him, you'll see soon enough Like, you know, when you engage with these people You'll see that they're they're really sheikhs And we're just kind of like placeholders You know, uh, low-hanging fruit, so to speak so, uh, he said. What he said was, uh, "That's fine. I understand. You know, you what you're saying, but I'm going to continue to call you sheikh because that is what the people call you, and I don't want you to forget that." Basically, he's saying, "You know, you're in a position that the people are calling are, are thinking of you in that way, and because of that, now you have a responsibility to the people, whether you like it or not." So don't try to escape it. Don't think you're bigger than you are, but at the same time, uh, don't betray the responsibility. It, it embrace the weight of the responsibility, because it is a serious weight. Um, so yeah, this is in regards to the comment in the, the uh, commentary. About the slip of indeed a scholar's slip is punished more severely than the slip of an ignorant person, and his burden is greater because he disobeys and transgresses, knowing full well the gravity of his sin. May Allah subhanahu wa taala you know protect us, protect us, Ya Rabbi. Uh, then he continues, "Wala tazawtu qabla al ولم سوى ولم أصومي." Nor have I prepared for my death by increasing my devotions Neither praying nor fasting beyond what is normally required Beyond what is normally required So now he's saying, like, what have I done? I haven't filled my life the way that I should have filled my life You know, and um, So who am I to say these things when I haven't really done that much? Who am I to give you counsel? Who am I to give you advice? When I don't have anything to show for it, so again, this is this kind of humility. It's extremely important. Uh, this couplet is an acknowledgment of the previous one, in which the author says he is not upright. You may ask, how can he claim that neglecting voluntary acts voids uprightness? When we have the hadith of dalmam ibn Thalaba, who, when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam explained to him the obligatory acts of the prayer and zakat and fasting, said, "By Allah, I will neither do more or less than that." And the Prophet replied, he has attained success if he is truthful Or he said, he will enter paradise if what he says is true Were it uh, not that a brightness is attainable by merely performing the obligatory acts The Prophet them would not have testified that Dhamam would enter paradise So um, the question is, so he's saying the question is Why is he, he hasn't done extra but this hadith seems to indicate to us That one doesn't have to do extra So what is the answer to that He says To this I reply The uprightness that the author denies possessing Is complete uprightness al Which is usually only attained by one Who completes his obligatory acts By offering voluntary acts as well Voluntary acts mend and make good The defects and shortcomings Of the obligatory acts So this is you know Basically he's talking about another level that is also important um, that is also important so um, in the end he says uh, this, it is possible that the author's denial is literal and it is also possible that he is merely expressing his lack of reliance upon his deeds even if he did in fact offer voluntary prayers and fast." So it is as if he were saying I have not gathered provisions of much voluntary prayer or fasting This is the extensive meaning of the couplet And is more fitting giving the station of the shaykh So um, Basically it's it's saying that I'm not. He's not relying on his deeds He's not relying on his deeds Which is a major theme that we covered in the um, and the in the Hickam class, that was a major theme that came up in the Hickam class. So, uh, so you know, you have. So, what's the summary of this section if we were to um, kind of like go back? And because I think, yeah, that's the last one. So let's look at all of the verses together, and then uh, conclude with that. But I think it will give a good bringing together of the content. So he says, This self of mine that drives me to error has turned a blind eye to grey hair and approaching old age. It hasn't even prepared a banquet of deeds for this unexpected guest who has set up permanent camp on my head, the grey hair. لَوْ كُنْتُ أَعْلَمُ أَنِّي مَا أُوَقِّرُهُ كَتَمْتُ سرًا li لِي مِنْهُ بِالْكَتِمِ Had I known, I wouldn't have paid him any respect at all. I would have camouflaged his secret with black dye. Again, the gray hair. مَنْ لِي بِرَدِّ جِمَاحٍ مِنْ غَوَايَتِهَا who can restrain my bolting soul from its selfish desires like bridles that bring restive steeds under control so who who can help me to do this how can I do it these are the descriptions that I have how can I do it <laughs> Do not attempt to break its appetite through wanton indulgence. Notice how food only strengthens a glutton's craving. And this was the one where we said that the solution to our desires is not to say, oh, I'll just give in a little bit. I give in a little bit, then I won't be satisfied still. When وَإِن rodar into the self is like an infant. If you leave it, it will grow up loving to suckle. But if you wean it soon, it will lose its desire for the breast. So the self has to be disciplined, has to be raised. And through following the sharia and through making dhikr and holding ourselves accountable, the nafs will be raised, regardless of whether or not we feel it. You know, And um, it is actually similar to dealing with a child, subhanAllah. That sometimes when you're doing, you know, engaging with children, you don't always notice the things that are changing or the things that are, um, the, the deposits that are being made that are actually affecting them. That maybe six months down the line they say, oh yeah, you said this to me and you know, it really, you're like, wow, subhanAllah, I didn't realize that. But it's there's a training that's happening there and the Nefs is the same. That's why we don't judge our own progress. We do what we're supposed to do terms of following the sharia making dhikr and so on and we don't judge our own progress in our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we just try to do what we need to and the growth will be there and the nafs will will be developed inshallah فَاسْرِفْ inna yusmi, also, I think, is one of the narrations. But uh, divert the self's desires and avoid empowering it. Whenever desire takes charge, it either destroys or defiles. So now he says, you know, watch out for those hawa, watch out for those desires. <laughs> Shepherd over it as it grazes freely in the fields of actions, but should it find the pasturage sweet, restrain its casual roaming. So look over it, even on the things that are okay. Look over it because we want to be aware of what's happening with the nephes. How often it has found some deadly poison! How often it has found some deadly pleasure delightful. Not knowing that poison lies hidden in cream The neph's Who finds these things desirable But those things, those so-called desirable things Are not in the benefit of the person or their soul (laughs) Be on guard against the traps of hunger and satiety An empty stomach can be worse than a full one And I believe this was last week covering this topic This balance between them Okay. Empty out every last tear from an eye that has gorged on forbidden desserts and cling to a diet of remorse وَخَالِفِ النَّفْسَ Huma وَإِنْهُمَا النُصْحَ Brings us to today Contradict the infantile self and Satan and disobey them it, e, If either of them offers you sincere advice be suspicious. submit to neither whether they come as adviser, adver- adversary or arbiter. By now you should know the intrigues of both adversary and arbiter and uh, and that finishes the section on uh, the disciplining of the self from imam al busiri In the poem of the burda radiyallahu here we'll stop this week and then next week we'll begin chapter 3 Chapter 3 begins uh, and, and is dedicated to praising the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Some of the chapters that come afterwards they talk about his jihad, his miracles, his and mi'raj um, So on and so forth But this one here is specifically dedicated to uh, praising the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam So this is when it gets like really juicy inshallah so may we be may we find benefit in it and may we f- bring ourselves ready to benefit inshallah from the chapters that come afterwards wa salallahu alaihi wa sallam ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam alhamdulillah rabbil alameen